and welcome to March's edition of Proximo's 20 Minutes with Podcast. If this is your first time listening, Proximo is the leading source of intelligence and events for the project, energy, and infrastructure finance market. This podcast is our chance to let leading figures in the industries we cover explain in their own words what they do and why. I'm Tom Nelthorpe, the editor at large here at Proximo, and I'm very glad you could join us right now. Today, I am standing in for my Golden Voice colleague, our deputy editor, Thomas Hopkins, who is lending his vocal talents to our Proximo Latin America event, or at least he has been the last couple of days. Um, that's been taking place in Miami. Um, I obviously got a short straw because I'm recording this from Scunthorpe. Anyway, if you want to know what we talked about in Miami, then subscribers can view all of the sessions on demand at ProximoInfo.com. Um, what else have we been up to? Um, I recently finished producing our Proximo Project Finance Full Year 2023 report. And to give you a taste of the contents, we're looking at a fairly consistent set of volumes between 2022 and 2023, um, which I think, given the state of the market, will take as a win and higher numbers of transactions. Um, we'll look at the regional and sector breakdown, as well as sort of uh, any other league tables in the full report, which is due to be uploaded any day now. But now it's time to introduce today's guest. He's Carl Weatherly White, the newly minted Managing Director and Head of Capital Markets at Greenbacker Capital. Why am I extremely excited to be talking to Carl today? Well, Greenback has emerged with a business model that, that stands out, I think, from, from other developers active in the US, both in terms of the assets it looks at, but also the financing structures it, it uses. And we're going to look at that in a bit more detail. Carl himself um, has enjoyed a storied career as both a developer and as a banker. Um, too many prestigious shops, I think, to, to mention, but I'm very glad Carl could join us today. Uh, welcome, Carl. Tom, thank you. I'm very excited to be here, and I, but I would put out... I, I'm not sure introducing me to say you drew the short straw is the best way to start, but I'll I'll leave that alone. I'm very I'm very excited to be here to talk about Greenbacker and my role. So thank you. It was it was short straw to be recording this from Scunthorpe. I would say <laughs> not um, not uh, interviewing you, Carl. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about your your role at Greenbacker? Um, first of all, um, Capital Markets is a um, you know a lot of developers wouldn't wouldn't have room for that sort of role. So how does um, how does your work fit in with what Greenbacker is trying to do? Yeah, thank you, Tom. Well, it's a very important role for Greenbacker, but maybe perhaps I'll give a quick overview of Greenbacker itself, uh, because it is, as you said, a very differentiated business within our industry. Greenbacker was founded about 10 years ago by a very seasoned infrastructure investor at Macquarie named Charles Wheeler, and he is, remains our active CEO. The premise at the time was twofold, uh, acquire operating renewable energy assets at a mid-market level. He saw an opportunity there, but importantly, fund the business through the high net worth family office market. So accessing uh, equity capital from uh, a different market than most developers uh, uh, access. And that was by having a registered company. So we file financial statements and we have nurtured relationships throughout the country with, with large family offices and, importantly, retail brokerage firms, including Morgan Stanley. Morgan Stanley's wealth management platform is one of the largest in the United States, if not the world, and we are very fortunate to be approved to be on their platform, and investors who invest through Morgan Stanley have an opportunity to participate in infrastructure investing uh, on a retail level with small investments into Greenbacker. So that has proven to be a fantastic source of equity capital. We've raised over $2 billion, which we've deployed into our, our fleet of, of projects. Uh, over that period of time, we have assembled 
a, an operating portfolio of wind, solar, and battery storage projects in excess of 1.5 gigawatts. We additionally have a 1.7 gigawatt portfolio of projects that are a very late stage of development and in the construction phase. So we have a very sizable uh, portfolio of operating and late stage development projects, again, all financed with this unique equity source. So my, my role, Tom, is really to help optimize our financing structure around all of those projects. And there are, it's an endless, I tell you, it's an endless uh, job and, and that's why I was excited to join. We have a lot of uh, fresh project financings that are ongoing as we speak. Uh, we've closed two tax equity deals this week, for example. Um, and we have refinancings to do, and, and then we are thinking through the overall, you know, corporate structure and how we could continue to fund the growth opportunity that we see in front of us. So maybe I'll stop there. Yeah. Thanks, Carla. And, and just to, to, to stop briefly at the, the idea that you've got this um, rather different equity um, model. I, I mean, yeah. I guess this is this is some distance from, from I guess, a full fully sort of listed vehicle, but at the same time, you know, listed vehicles have had a tough time sometimes in infrastructure to be at the mercy of, of, of markets. Do you feel that the model you've got um, gives you some of the liquidity maybe without some of the volatility of, of, of listings or are there other advantages? That's exactly right. I mean, it's exactly the point. So we operate more like a private REIT, Mike. There's a number of good examples of that in the market. Um, but essentially, we it's a very stable um, uh uh, investor base. We do have something that's called a redemption feature that allows investors to, if they have other needs for capital, to withdraw. And we're we're, we're that is not used very often. It, you know, the investors in our in our business are stable and long term, and what in the industry they call sticky. Uh, they're they're an income oriented investor, so that's an important aspect. We do work hard to generate a current dividend, uh, but we also have seen growth in the portfolio. So it's for investors, it's considered to be a total return of a current income, which is a tax deferred income and 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 growth. Thanks, Carl. So and and across that capital structure, right? From from debt, maybe very senior debt to slightly less senior debt to tax equity to, to equity. Where's the <laughs> where's the demand from? Um either from developers like yourself or maybe from from people you're talking to. Where's um Where's the where's the pinch point? Do you, do you think in the in the market at the moment? Well, uh, there are many layers of capital in the market. So, you know, I think it's important you can consider senior debt, tax equity, cash equity, development equity, all of which uh, are important layers in in a in a company's capital structure. I think the pinch point, if I were to pick one, would be the um, you know pre notice to proceed capital the 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 I'd say even sort of mid to late stage capital, which is a pretty precise answer to your question. You know, I think there is a fair amount of you know early stage development capital that's available. It's not not a great deal is needed, but there are a lot of private equity firms looking to support developers. Uh, in the current market, particularly in solar, uh, we have seen the uh, capital demands increase at the stage before a project is fully developed. So equipment deposits, interconnection deposits, uh, sometimes because projects just take longer to develop, there are costs associated with retaining land options. So we've seen in the, in the development space, uh, increased demand for that, 
that middle development phase. And that's the part that's really missing. Um, there are a number of players that are, uh, are in that space. There are some banks that are starting to take on a little bit more risk and willing to provide some, you know, what they call pre-NTP development loans. But I still think that's a, that's a part of the market that's missing. And quite frankly, that's, that's the kind of capital that Greenbacker is able to provide. Uh, you know, many of the projects in our portfolio uh, were acquired uh, through partnerships with developers at that mid mid development stage. So we're we're one of the opportunities that we see is to be able to provide that capital, which is, you know, helping our, us to secure a pipeline of projects to to own and operate in the future. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting you talk about the the, the pre NTP um, capital because I I not that long ago actually about two two months ago I looked at um, the sort of the growth of the post. NTP warehouses, which were, yeah. which were were really picking up, and and I I thought that there would be more challenges to doing it, but every time I talked to a bank, they said I'd much rather be doing these with identified projects with all the development equity that's been put in than the pre NTP stuff. Mm -hmm. And I I sort of assumed it was a it was a leap to get them from the pre NTP to the post NTP, but the the pre NTP market has still been. It's still a little bit of a niche, right, with a small number of players. And, and... Very, very much. And it's it's partly because the underlying business is changing so quickly that it's it's hard for financial firms to really underwrite these deals. Even some of the very most experienced uh, project finance lenders with you know billions of experience across the globe have a difficult time underwriting those pre-NTP periods. So let's talk a little bit now at the, 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 the policy, the regulatory context for these. Um... Yeah. For these for the supplier capital for the constraints um uh and, and it's almost it's almost the law that you have to talk about the, the inflation reduction act when when talking yes. about north american energy <laughs> finance so let's let's sort of get it out of the way at a fairly fairly early stage um how um i, I feel like there was a brief honeymoon period and then there was this wait while all the the, the treasury guidance regulations happened and now there's a sort of a, a sort of cautious optimism in the market is that fair i mean in general does it has it has it helped on balance what you're doing or does it by removing some of those capital constraints in in theory and um, give you sort of fewer opportunities to play How, how's your what's your, your your general um reaction to the to, yeah. to the area well my general reaction is very optimistic um, I'm, I'm sort of an optimistic person anyway but i i do think it, there's a lot of optimism and the reason i have that tom is you know, for, you know, for better or for worse, I was participating in the tax equity market, you know, in the 90s and the 2000s and 2010s. So I've seen a lot of of the interaction between public policy and, and tax oriented financing. Um, the, the very good news about the IRA is that the government is behind this and it's a public policy that has a lot of support and there's a lot of good reasons for it. Uh, in the past, tax equity financing was always sort of dancing around what the IRS would do. And financing structures were, you know, reading carefully at, at old uh, private letter rulings or pronouncements or clarifications for the IRS and really trying to fit the financing into what the lawyers would tell you, okay, now we're, you know, we have a will level of support for that or a should level of support for that position. So people were never entirely on sound footing when it came to tax equity financing. Today, the government is very active. They want it to happen. They're supportive of it. The, the now the rules take time. So as you said, you know it's taken a lot of time to clarify each of the provisions, you know, provisions in the IRA. But they are doing that. Um, you know, I think in particular the transfer market has boomed. 
uh, beyond anybody's expectation. Uh, I've been very, very uh, uh, surprised in a positive way about the amount of activity in that in that space and the number of players that have emerged uh, help to help the help the the that 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 be successful and and finance that. So I'm I'm generally quite optimistic and. You know, it's always challenging. Each deal has its challenges, and and you have to find a good party for each transaction. Work very hard to, to to close deals, but it, overall, the the volume of deals has has increased, and the amount of capital has increased as well. And hopefully, that'll be that'll that will continue. So, I, I, and Carl, I don't know how 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 closely you've been following transferability and how it interacts with the availability of bank capital. I guess yeah. I've been a little bit impressed by how quickly banks have gone. From wanting, um, you know, support stabilizers maybe from developers in terms of, um, in terms of sort of credit support or enhancements or even guarantees, to to them taking a a little bit more of a sort of normal course view of of how they put together tax credit, you know, facilities. Is that is that your observation of the market, or do you think there's still a little bit of work left to do in in, in getting some sort of attractive liquidity around those those transferability commitments? I think there's a lot of work to do. I, I am optimistic, Tom. I mentioned that, but I, I think the the market is really in an exploratory phase about what the, you know, the regular type of transaction will be. It's attracted the very biggest players, all of whom, you know, we would see in in the normal tax equity market. They're all developing a transfer structure, and I think that's a yeah. wonderful sign. Um, but each each party has a different. Uh, you know, a nuance or a, a covenant or a, a risk coverage that's different. I would also say pricing is is very uh, mixed. It's a wide range of pricing. Everyone is trying to understand, you know, what the ultimate transfer price should be. And then, you know, whether, for example, if there's an insurance policy required, what is the cost of that? What are the fees and, and, and transactional expenses to the intermediaries? So for, from a developer's perspective, from, from Greenbacker's perspective, we are actively exploring that market with several participants, but we don't really, we have a wide range of, of pricing and structure that we're, that we're working through. All right. Well, well, we'll, we'll maybe go back to capital market conditions in a minute, but I think, yeah. I think so far we've, we've talked primarily about, I don't know, the ways of doing business and financing relatively proven assets so what you might call the yeah. renewable IPP model um but of course that's not um 100 what what greenback is up to and one reason um you know for for our interest in talking to you was was some of the um some of the investments you guys have made in the mobility sector um yes are, are those are those assets slightly more slightly closer to the, the sort of bleeding age of technology are they struggling do you think to attract to you know to access attractive capital right now Well, the answer is it really depends on the on the technology. The you know the exciting part about the energy transition market today is that there's so many business models and technologies and and ways of interacting with with uh, clients that create different revenue models, uh, different risks, different returns. So there's a wide variety of things. And you're right, Greenbacker is active in that next generation of energy transition. We have a dedicated fund that is more of a growth equity fund whose you know investment thesis is providing uh, growth capital to smaller developers with a very wide um, definition of infrastructure so we're seeing a number of different business models and we're and we're investing in them i think the challenge will be the the ultimate assets that are being developed and how they will be financed 
And I think people are, are thinking hard about how to do that. Some of them where you do have identified, stable, and you know, contracted cash flows, even if they're not traditional solar or wind or even battery storage. You know, I, let's say, let's talk about EV fleets, for example, or charging stations or other things. To the extent you can identify financial cash flows, those will be the projects that will, I think, fit more easily into the classic project finance market. To the extent it's a different business model with different revenue streams, people are going to have to be more creative about uh, ultimately financing the underlying assets. So there's a lot of work to be done on that front. But there are a lot of good people that are that are looking at it. And, you know, we know the role of the government, you know, the loan, the loan program um, and the Department of Energy has been super supportive of some of these emerging business models. So I think the and it goes back to what I said earlier about the, um, you know, the, the regulatory support. Uh, you know, I think we're really seeing that that uh, assisting these these new initiatives, um, you know, pass through the valley of death and and hopefully get to be commercialized. So, so Carl, quick, quick follow up on that, and and that is the the idea of the the project finance model as as something yes. that can be adapted and can be transferred to to new technologies. I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen, and um, whether in conventional power and renewables. You've seen developers come and go that have maybe tried to break out of some of the, the structures yeah. of project finance. And we're starting to see that a little bit, particularly in EVs and in, in, in charging. Um, the idea that 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 um that, that project finance can be a straitjacket sometimes for for businesses. But but at the same time, you know, it has historically proven to to preserve value pretty well in in, in adverse yes. situations. So what what's your feeling? I mean, I know you've never been a like a hundred percent project finance person but is it is it still a useful discipline or do you think we really are at a point where where you, you've got to get out of that straitjacket oh that's a great question i like the way you use the word discipline um because what that conveys is it's a mindset and it's a an approach to financing projects it's not a structure it's not like there's a project finance market and here are the terms and conditions and which does exist for proven financing technique or proven proven projects, you know, operating solar projects and the like. But I think these emerging uh, businesses and, and asset classes uh, should approach the project finance market. I mean, the you know the benefit of project financing uh, has been historically it does allow for more capital to be um, uh, uh, sourced uh, beyond the 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 capacity of the sponsor. So you're you're using the underlying cash flows of the asset to finance that asset without having an enormous balance sheet behind it at the sponsor level. So that will always remain uh, a via, you know, an attractive solution for smaller developers. And you know, these sponsors, the, the developers that are on the cutting edge of energy transition are entrepreneurial, small private equity backed firms. So I think they will always be looking for cap, you know, third party uh, non-recourse capital um, to 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 build our business. Now, that being said, the straitjacket is a straitjacket. I mean, covenants, um, defaults, cure periods, you know, restricted payments that block equity distributions. Those are all, you know, even even funding conditions, milestone funding conditions. You know, there's a lot of structure that can get in the way of fast moving businesses, and and I think developers need to be cautious about. Uh, signing up to deals, you know that that they might find themselves in in, in trouble. You know, one of the one of the one of the good things about developers, they always see the world with rose colored glasses. You know, they're optimistic people. They're 
they're looking forward to huge growth in whatever uh, endeavor they're focused on. Um, but you know, there is downside and, and project finance does have restricted covenants. So I think ca properly capitalizing projects, given the risks that they have is, is, uh, is always going to be an important part of financing these, these kinds of assets. Thanks. Thanks, Carl. And I guess on a, on a sort of personal um, or, or, a, or at a company level, um, how easy has it been for for for, for Greenbacker to to take sort of business models and to take access to different pockets of capital um, that may have worked in the the you know, renewable IPP space and mm -hmm. apply it elsewhere? Has there been a, a learning curve, or has it been very much like, well, there's this pocket here which we haven't used until now, but it'll work quite nicely? So how's that how's that process of adaptation been? Yeah, Greenbacker has been very successful at at, at at attracting a good, a good first of all, developer relationships with an excellent uh, list of, of banks that and, and tax equity and, and institutional equity that have helped us. Uh, you know, part of that is the firm, the senior management, Charles Wheeler from Macquarie. You know, most most of the senior people at the company have grown up in different cycles and have seen a, a wide variety of structured financings, and and I think are very adept at at uh, working through. You know whatever issues come up so we've been fortunate um you know we have been affected by some of the turmoil that others have seen so you know the you know covid some of the um you know savings and loan uh community and regional bank crisis that happened with the you know svb and others um have been have been issues you know we've seen you know people coming in the market people coming out of the market so i think we always have to be on top of market conditions aware of new ideas, aware of new players. We worked very hard to, you know, maintain access to those markets. It's not easy, but, you know, the firm's done a very good job and, uh, you know, a little bit of luck will continue to, to, um, to, to have that access. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. You mentioned um, going through all the, all the cycles and, you know, yeah, yeah. Some, some of us, I guess, have got, you know, 25 years now of, of different collapses at different times. So it's, it's yeah. a useful perspective, but what's your feeling about where we are now in, in, in this, in this cycle? Again, I mean, having looked at the, um, looked at the numbers for, for, for last year, I'd sort of suggest that things weren't as bad as people, um, people made out. No. Um, but, but is, is that your feeling or do you think there's some stabilization that, that still needs to happen? Well, I think first of all, it's a wonderful, wonderful time to be in the energy transition for whatever, whatever your discipline is, where you, whether you're a developer, a lender, a lawyer, a banker, a consultant, or a, a podcast host. It's a wonderful time. It's active. Uh, the, it, it's caught up with technology change, policy change, financing change, business change. So all of those elements are, I believe, exciting. It's attracted very bright people into the sector, a lot of young people who work very hard and bring a lot of optimism. So it's a great sector to be in. We have a lot of headwinds um, as, as well as tailwinds. You know, tailwinds are secular in nature, public policy, demand for electricity. Uh, I think prices for electricity have, have, have climbed recently in the United States, which, you know, supports a level of return. Uh, I think we're seeing technology costs starting to fall a little bit, which is interesting. So I think there's a lot of good tailwinds that are driving opportunities. There are headwinds. I think we've talked about some of the some of the capital constraints. Um, that is not a terrible story, but it takes a lot of work. We're still seeing inflation and supply chain challenges in the United States. Uh, some long lead time items for for major equipment. So and and one, you know, and then we have the transmission constraints. So there's a lot of challenges to this business, but 
I think overall it's it's uh it's one with a lot of growth and I think one should be optimistic about you know the next you know the next decade. All right, cool. Well, to my to my surprise and, and delight, we're we're not massively over our uh, allotted twenty minutes, so I'll uh, and probably draw things to a, a close there. Um, thank you so much for uh, for joining me and for your for your insights. Yes, well, I really appreciate the time, Tom. Thank you for inviting me and and enjoy uh, enjoy the English evening. <laughs> it, it actually started pouring it down in classic English style just as we <laughs> just as we started, and I I think I'm gonna have to curl up with the. Uh, 45 Q hydrogen guidance um, rather than go for a, go for a walk. And I'm sure you've got to get back to what sounds like a pretty frenetic um, bout of capital raising. So um, thank you. Thanks a lot um, uh, for all you uh, listeners and keep an eye out for our full year data report, which I've referenced um, both in the agony and the ecstasy. Um, and we're still confirming speakers for our Nashville financing America's infrastructure event in May, both Mr. Hopkins and I will be there. Uh, if you're wondering whether we've been seen in the same room together. So, Please do subscribe to us through any of the most common channels, Spotify, Apple, Podbean among them, um, to keep receiving us every month. But for now, thank you very much for listening and goodbye.